You're listening to sermons from Southbridge Fellowship in Raleigh, North Carolina. We pray that today's message helps you to connect to Jesus for life change. If you have a Bible, go ahead and just turn with me to the book of Acts. We're going to continue this morning in our Reimagined series. Pastor Scott has done a phenomenal job just laying the groundwork, laying the framework for where we are in the book of Acts. Uh, This is a continuation uh, after the life of Jesus, after his public life and ministry, his death, his burial, his resurrection. Now, 50 days later, we come to the day of Pentecost, which is something that the Jews had been celebrating. It was, uh, in the Greek, the word Pentecost actually means 50, and so it's a 50-week process. Um, this is something that they had been celebrating, and so naturally, many of the Jews or converts to Judaism, as he tells us in the passage, would have flocked to the city of Jerusalem to experience Uh, the festival and the feast. And so uh, here we are, we're landing in, um, in Jerusalem. As we've unpacked and started this series to reimagine church, uh, what would that look like? And most of the time we, we begin to think of our programs and our ideas and, oh, well, if only I could do the things that we did back in the day. And and we, we want to kind of go back. Well, listen, I mean, we have to look forward the best part of a church life is not what's behind us, but what's in front of us. These people had experienced religion. They've experienced lots of things. They've experienced persecution. Um, matter of fact, Jesus looked at the, the multitudes. He was moved with compassion. He says, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. They were going through the religious motions with no intent, with no direction, with no purpose. Uh, and in so many ways, we, we've sort of created a church culture of come and see, come and participate. A few will tell you what to do, but, and that's what we want to reimagine. And I I think to get a good sense of what it is to reimagine our future is to go back and look at how it started. Well, what happened in the book of Acts? What was the church? Because what happened in the book of Acts is not what we experience today. I just want you to know that. What happened here is, is not what we typically think of when we think of church. You can go back and you can study church history and see lots of things. And there were good things. There were bad things through the church. And, and there's a lot of great things that churches do. There's a lot of not great things, evil things that people are doing in the name of church. And so let's go back and let's just understand that if we want to reimagine what, what's the future, what is the vision, what does God have for Southbridge to reach the Raleigh-Durham area, this greater area with, with an estimated one million lost people. Part of our vision is, is to have uh, encounters, one-on-one encounters to experience us, to experience spiritual transformation. We say we're passionate about connecting people to Jesus for what? Life change. That's spiritual transformation. So much so that we begin to saturate our city, right? Spiritual transformation leads to gospel saturation. So as God does a work in me, he begins to do a work through me to reach others. That's what we begin starting to see unfold in the book of Acts. So I want, to, I want you to place yourself in the picture of the story this morning and just, you know, where are you in this process of spiritual transformation? Do you have a relationship with Christ or are you searching? I will never assume that because someone comes to church that they're a follower of Jesus Christ. 
For the same reason that when I walk into McDonald's, I don't consider myself a Big Mac, right? You don't walk into Big Mac and, and think you're, uh, you know, or walk into McDonald's, right? You don't walk into church and you're not just a Christian because you're showing up at church. So let's just lay some framework and understand that if we're going to reimagine church moving forward, what does it look like to reach our city? Let's go back and look at how it started. Acts chapter 2 is where we're just going to pick up uh, where Pastor Scott left off last week. Acts chapter 2, let's begin in verse 12. Acts chapter 2, it simply says this, amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? What does what mean? Let's put this in context just a little bit. Uh, Jesus had been interacting with his disciples, 40 days he spent with them as, after his resurrection. It says that he appeared to more than 500 at one time. Now he gave them this command, right, to wait, to stay in Jerusalem until I send you the Holy Spirit. But wait, so their command was to wait. Last week, Pastor Scott said the wait is over. Three of you, great job. The wait is what? The wait is over. The wait is over. Go and wait for the Holy Spirit. Last week, we saw the Holy Spirit unleashed. Now the wait is over. Now they're in the mix. They're in the throes. And so with all this stuff going on, it says that there were 120 gathered. And the Holy Spirit came, and, and it tells us in chapter 1 that it filled all of them. They were all filled and began to, to speak in tongues that they didn't know. And everyone that was there for the feast, for the festival, for the celebration, were hearing these followers of Jesus filled with the Holy Spirit, proclaiming God's goodness, proclaiming who Jesus is and what he has done, and they were hearing them in their own language. And so the people, naturally, anyone else would be a little perplexed? Yeah, okay, so they were perplexed. They asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them, saying that they had too much wine, then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and he addressed the crowd, fellow Jews, and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. For some, that's no excuse. Uh, verse 16, no, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. So here's Peter in the boldness and confidence of the Holy Spirit. Now, I have to say right here, I don't, I don't know that Peter is this smart, at least in my opinion, right? He's, he's going to begin to quote the prophet Joel. He's going to begin to quote the scrolls of Psalms. And I, I truly believe this is an act of the Holy Spirit in him, giving him courage, giving him boldness to, to proclaim and prophesy God's truth. And so what he does, uh, verse 17, he, he begins quoting the Old Testament prophet Joel about 800 years before this time. And here's what he says, in the last days, God says, I, God, will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. Uh, to prophesy is to proclaim truth. This, this is not a prophetic word. It's not a, a vision like we looked at in Daniel where there was prophecy, a foretelling of things to come. This word literally means to proclaim truth. So what they were doing is they were proclaiming who Jesus is and what he's done. 
This is exactly what they were told was going to happen. Now we see it beginning to unfold. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, we looked at it a couple of weeks ago. Pastor Scott unpacked that wonderfully. And it simply says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my what? Witnesses. That's proclaimers of truth. You're going to witness. You're going to witness. You're going to tell who Jesus is and what he's done. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, a couple things about this command. First, this is a passive command. It's something that's done to you. It's not something you do. You, you can't fill yourself with the Holy Spirit. The, the, the Holy Spirit does that. When we surrender ourselves in control, He fills us. We're commanded to be a witness. This, the verb tense that's used here is simultaneously at one time. Oftentimes, we, we look at this command and say, well, first I have to do this, and when that's completed, then I'm going to go over here and do this, and then when that's completed, I'm going to go over here and do this. But the verb tense is actually simultaneously at the same time, your Jerusalem, your Judea, your Samaria, all simultaneously. Some of us live the Christian life and say, well, once I have my family raised and gone, then I'll do something else. That, that's not what the verb tense is. My responsibility is disciple my children, raise my children, loving the admonition of Christ, while at the same time loving and caring and discipling others, while at the same time going into all the world. Pastor Scott a couple weeks ago said uh, the places you live, work, and play, right? Those circles of influence. We don't simply finish with one, then move on to the next. It's simultaneously at the same time, I'm having this sphere of influence as I am a witness for Christ every place I put my feet. And so literally what we begin to understand is wherever I place my feet is my mission field. Whether it's a church, whether it's at home, whether it's in my neighborhood, whether it's at the, uh, the repair shop, whether it's at the, the phone store, whether it's at Walmart, which is a huge mission field, by the way. Um, I'm not spiritual enough to go to Walmart. Wherever you put your feet, you're to be a witness. That's literally what he's saying. All simultaneously at the same time. You will receive power. You will be my witnesses. Now, it's, it's interesting. Just make a mental note here. The word that's used for witness is the same word that's used for martyr. Because as we see this story progress, we're going to begin to see this played out in a very real way. But, but here's the reality. When you and I come to know Jesus Christ, it can be divisive. Anybody ever lost a friend? Anybody ever felt alienated from your family because you have now become a follower of Jesus Christ? We have martyrs literally around the world right now who have been alienated from their family because they renounced some false religion and have become a true follower of the one true God. His name is Jesus Christ. Paul says the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those of us who are being saved, it is our life, it's our hope. We have to understand that being a follower of Jesus Christ is going to cost us something. Why? Because I die to myself and I, and I take up a new life in Christ, and that life is not the same. 
I've encountered so many people and, and I've walked through this journey myself saying, I, I can't do that. I, I'm not capable of doing that. The honest truth is, I'm right. <laughs> I can't, but that's not what the command is. The command is the Holy Spirit will do it through me. If I receive the Holy Spirit, he says, you will be my witness. He didn't say you might. He didn't say, well, once you go through enough training or once you've been in the church long enough, he literally said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will be my witness. So if you ever wonder, well, you know, I don't think I can do that. Here's my question. Do you have the Spirit? If you have the Spirit, he says, you will be my witness. Now, what does that mean? It means I'm simply going to tell about who Jesus is and what he's done for me. I've lived in so much fear of, of man, if I ever start talking to somebody about Jesus, they're going to ask me about, you know, homardiology and, and hermeneutics and the study of God's word and the reliability of scriptures and the old scrolls and all these kind of things. Anybody else have that fear? Of all the times I've shared my faith in Jesus, I think twice, three times I've had questions like that. You know what my answer is? I don't know. Here's what I do know. Let me tell you about Jesus and let me tell you about what he's done in my life and what he's currently doing in my life. Yeah, yeah, but what about the reliability? I mean, I don't know. I'm just not that smart. But I've encountered Jesus and let me tell you about that. But I think part of what is happening in Peter's life is that he's given him words. Have you ever had that experience? Where you're talking to somebody and all of a sudden just God just sort of plunks you upside the head and he gives you biblical wisdom and you're quoting verses that you learned in second grade? Am I the only one? Listen, when, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit of God and, and you're stepping out by faith to be his witness, he's going to give you words, he's going to give you wisdom, he's going to give you clarity because he's more concerned about you being a witness for him than you are concerned about being a witness for him. And he's going to rejoice in your faithfulness, and he's going to rejoice in your obedience, and he's going to fill you with power, he's going to give you peace, he's going to give you words. I believe that's exactly what he's doing with Peter, because that's what he promised Peter. In Matthew chapter 4, um, he, when, when we see Jesus calling his first disciples, it says, and seeing two fishermen, Simon Peter and his brother Andrew, and he said to them, what? Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Peter is doing exactly what Jesus promised he would do in his life. You come and follow me. You walk a journey with me. I'm going to make you something that you're not. And I'm going to do it through the promised Holy Spirit in you. And I believe in that moment, Peter is saying stuff that he never even imagined. He's probably sitting here going, who's Joel? Right? But he's quoting scripture. He's, he's, he's quoting these, these prophecies from 800 years ago. But filled with the Holy Spirit, he was a, a witness. He's telling people about Jesus. You know what? God calls ordinary people. God uses ordinary people. He always has and he always will because he makes every follower a witness. If you're a follower, you are to be a witness. But listen, most of the time with me, I feel like a gentleman named Guy Goma. Now, I, I can see the looks in the room. Who the heck is Guy Goma? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because Guy Goma, um, 
He, he was from the Congo area. And in May of 2006, I, I just came across this story several years ago, and I've just been waiting to share it. So this is the moment. Guy was waiting in the main area of a reception room at BBC TV 24 News. Uh, and he was there for a job interview as a data support cleanser in the IT department of this big television network. And at the time, there was also a guy on the property named Guy Cooney. And Guy Cooney was a British technology expert. He was in another reception area, and he was preparing for a live television interview because the controversy was going on in 2006 between Apple Computer's court case with the Beatles record uh, company called Apple Corps. So the producer sent um, somebody to go get Guy Cooney, and they said, where is he? He's in the main waiting area. So he went out to the reception area and asked the receptionist, says, where's Guy? She goes, it's right there. So he, the producer walks over, and all Guy heard was, are you Guy? And he goes, yeah, come with me. So he gets up and he walks out of the reception room. Next thing you know, he's being ushered to the back. He's wired up with a microphone. He's got makeup on. He goes, this is really weird for a job interview. <laughs> Next thing you know, he's sitting in front of live TV cameras. And the interview is asking him questions. Now, just imagine the amazement to Guy Cooney, who's also sitting there. And if you've ever been in, in a station or something like that, they always have their own station playing. So Guy Cooney is sitting there watching the TV, and he sees Guy Goma sitting on TV being introduced as him getting ready to be interviewed about this lawsuit. When introduced by the interviewer, her name was Karen Bowerman, um, he was introduced as an internet expert, Guy Cooney, um, Goma realized that, hey, there'd been some kind of misunderstanding. And he was, as you can imagine, visibly shocked. Aware that he was on live TV, I love what it says, aware that he was on live television and not wishing to make a scene, Goma attempted to answer questions about the case and its ramifications for the music industry. While not an expert, Goma knew enough about downloading and cyber cafes to make credible answers. Cooney, still in the waiting area, was shocked when he saw Goma interviewed in this place, though he was not able to hear the audio. He was simply watching it. And he saw his name, and he saw a guy that was not him. Now, put yourself in either of those places. But here's just the reality. Many times when I have felt as though, God, I want to be used by you. I want to be obedient to you. I want to be submissive to your leadership. And I want to step out by faith to be a witness. I most of the time feel like Guy Goma. Not, I don't, God, I don't know enough. They're going to ask me questions that, that I don't have answers to. But you know what God always tells me? Just do it. Just do it because the evidence of being a true follower is that Jesus is making you a witness. I want evidence in my life that I'm a, a witness, that I'm a true follower of Jesus. And so by faith, I'm going to step out and I'm going to say, God, I'm simply taking a step of faith and I'm asking you to do through me what I am completely incapable of doing anyway. The great preacher Vance Havner once put it this way. He said, every Christian is commissioned for every Christian is a missionary. 
It has been said that the gospel is not merely something to come to church to hear, but something to go from church to tell. Amen? Wait, amen? It has also been said Christianity began as a company of lay witnesses. It has become a professional pulpitism financed by lay spectators. Somebody say amen? Okay. Reimagine church. We're not here as spectators, we're here as participants. We have the joy of participating in the mission of Jesus Christ. God chose me. That's what Acts 1.8, you will be my witness, Dave. God chose me to be his witness. If you were a follower of Jesus, would you say it with me? God chose me to be his witness. Just go ahead and say it out loud. God chose me to be his witness. If you're a follower of Jesus, you've received the gift of the Holy Spirit, and upon receiving the gift of the Spirit, you will be my witnesses. The great preacher D.L. Moody said, every man and woman who loves the Lord Jesus Christ must wake up to the fact that he or she has a mission in the world in his work of reaching the lost. One million lost people, an estimated 100,000 gospel encounters and conversations that we as a church hope to have in the next 10 years. How's that going to happen? It's going to happen because we have one-on-one conversations where we're talking about Jesus. Let me just do some simple math. There's roughly 600 adults that are going to walk off this campus this morning. What if 600 adults had one conversation a month this year? That's over 7,000 conversations. What would God do? with people who understand that the the foundation, the power of his church is the Holy Spirit. The power of his church is the Holy Spirit. And we simply take those steps of faith, steps in obedience. If there's one truth I want you to walk away with this morning, listen to this. When you and I step out by faith to share, to be a witness, you and I are not responsible for anyone's conversion We're only responsible for the conversation. I can't save anyone. You can't save anyone. We're not responsible for their conversion, but we are responsible for the conversation to be witnesses. And that power comes through the Holy Spirit. The power of the church is the Holy Spirit. The second, I want you to see that the foundation of the church is the person of Jesus Christ. The foundation of the church is the person of Jesus of Jesus Christ. Uh, We perhaps have made it a lot of other things through the years, but it's all about Jesus. As Peter begins to to proclaim what he's he's doing here, just let's understand the the, the context just a little bit. In Acts chapter 2, right before our passage this morning, Pastor Scott even admitted stumbling through all these people groups that were mentioned. There's 17, at least, people, groups, or regions that are mentioned in Acts chapter 2. And of those, uh, the writer actually says some were Jews and some were converted to Judaism. So just imagine the hodgepodge of beliefs that are gathered, that are listening to the gospel of Jesus. I don't think that's a lot different than walking out into Raleigh today. People are confused over what the church is. They're confused over who Jesus is. People want to believe that that Jesus is just some Southern Cal, surfing, hippie, loving, daisy-handing-out guy. That's not who he is. He is God. 
He is holy and righteous. And Jesus is by far probably the most bigoted, intolerant person in our culture today because Jesus made a very exclusive statement. Do you remember what he said? I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes unto the Father except through me. But we live in a culture where, hey, all roads lead to God. We're all good. Just, you know. So Peter begins to address the foundation of the church, and that is the person of Jesus Christ. Look what he says in Acts chapter 2. Let's pick it up in verse 22. Because Peter now begins to bring clarity to this distorted view. I don't know who you think Jesus is as you walked into this place. Peter's going to give us some clarity this morning. Acts chapter 2, verse 22. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth, he's beginning to narrow it down. Jesus of Nazareth was an, a, a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. Credibility. You remember this guy, Jesus of Nazareth. He's the one that's been running around healing people. He's healed blind people. He's raised people from the dead. He's made the lame walk. He's fed thousands of people. All these signs, all these miracles. Yeah, that's the Jesus we're talking about. Not to confuse him with any other Jesus. And so I love his emphasis. This man, verse 23, this man, this Jesus, this Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth, easy for me to say, Nazareth, uh, this man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. How many guys named Jesus did they know that were handed over and nailed to a cross in the last 50 days? Probably just one. So again, clarification. This is the Jesus we're talking about. Verse 24, but God raised him from the dead. How many other guys named Jesus did they know that had risen from the dead in the last 50 days? Someone, someone just, someone take a wild guess. Probably none, right? Other than this one, this is probably the only one they know about. So again, clarification. I love Peter. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Why? Because God is life. Look down at verse 32. God has raised this Jesus. Circle it, underline it. God has raised this Jesus to life and we're all witnesses of it because he had appeared to more than 500 during this 40 days between his resurrection and, and his departure when he told them to go wait. He, he taught them for 40 days. It says he appeared to Peter. He appeared to the 12. He appeared to some over here. He appeared to, appeared to more than 500 at a time. This is the Jesus we're talking about. Just to be really clear, God has raised this Jesus to life and we're all witnesses so in other words, all these that are proclaiming the, the goodness of Jesus in these unknown languages to them, but known to others, all these people are witnesses. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. I love that. Credibility of who this Jesus is. He's from Nazareth. He's been uh, affirmed through all the miracles and all of his works. He's, he was crucified. He was handed over, crucified, murdered, rose from the dead, appeared to all of us. He ascended. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father, received the Spirit. Now he's poured that Spirit out on us. That's what you see in here. 
said, fire anybody up to go, I want to be one of those people. I want to be, I want to be one of those people who receives the Holy Spirit and, and, and begin to do the work of the Father to be a witness. Verse 36, therefore, because of all these things he says that I've just shared with you, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Jesus Christ, both a name and a title. His name is Jesus. Christ is his title, the anointed one, the holy one, the Messiah, because he fulfilled all of these prophecies. He rose from the dead. He ascended to the Father. He gave us the gift of the promised Holy Spirit that he promised back in John 14, 15, 16, and 17 when he began to pray that high priestly prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane before he was arrested, prayed for you, he prayed for me, that we would be one. And so here it is, it's being poured out, and Peter clarifies this is the foundation of our church. If Jesus Christ is not the foundation of Southbridge Fellowship Church, I won't be here. And if there's ever a point that you see us going any other direction except the blood and the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ, you'd need to call us on it. This is the church. Our, our power is the Holy Spirit of God. The foundation is the person and work of Jesus Christ. But I also want you to see in here that, that the makeup of the church is repentant people. The makeup of the church is repentant people. There were thousands there. Thousands of people, probably millions of people gathered. Let's pick it up in verse 37. It says, when the people heard this, in other words, Peter's call to repentance. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart, talking about this Jesus, his credibility. I know that Jesus. I understand. I see what's going on. I hear these people proclaiming the goodness of God. They were cut to the heart. That's a strong statement. We could press into that, but we're just going to just understand. They were cut to the heart. That's not just coming to church to feel good. They were, they were cut to the heart. They were confronted with the holiness and righteousness of God Almighty. Their sin was not being compared to their neighbor anymore. Now their sin's being compared to the holy God. We, we don't come to church and compare our sin. We all got sin. Can we just be honest about that? Everybody walks in this room, we got sin. We don't compare our sin to one another. We compare our sin to the holiness and righteousness of God, which should cut my heart every week. Every day of my life, as I press into God's word, it should cut my heart and say, God, I, I confess, I repent. I, I want to know you. I want to walk in fellowship with you. I want to know you more today than I did yesterday. So they were cut to the heart, and, and they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? What shall we do? And so Peter replied, repent. <laughs> he didn't say, hey, go to church. He didn't say, hey, give some money, go help some little lady. He said, repent. Repent of what? Repent of sin. They're, they're cut to the heart. They start to realize that this is a holy and righteous God. A holy, righteous God. And, and no matter how big or small I think my sin is, compared to the holiness of God, I'm crud. Look at 
I'm filthy. I'm terrible. It might not be bad if I compare myself to someone else, but when I compare myself to God in his holiness and his righteousness, what should I say? Oh, God, I'm sorry. No, I should fall on my face and I should repent and say, God, there's not a reason in the world that you should love someone like me, and yet you do. Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Does that cut your heart to realize that a holy God loves you enough in your sin that he would send his son to die for you? Does that cut your heart? Does that move you to repentance? We, we've come up with an easy believism. I think the sinner's prayer is probably one of the worst things the church has ever come up with. There's no magic words that you pray and think that Jesus is going to accept you. It's confession. It's repentance. Repentance literally means I was going this way in my sin and pursuing myself. And, and repentance says I see the holiness of God and I turn. It's literally a 180. I turn from my sin. I turn from my old ways. And I'm now following the person of Jesus Christ. We saw with the, with the disciples, it says they walked away from everything. They abandoned everything that they once thought was important to follow Jesus. Is that you? Or have you, have you prayed a prayer, walked an aisle once upon a time and, and think that you're good with Jesus? You may be deceived to think you're good, but unless you've repented of your sin and you're experiencing life transformation through the power of the Holy Spirit because of the person of Jesus Christ, the, then you're, you're deceived. And Peter's saying, don't be deceived. Now listen, I, I'm a dad. And, and I'll just confess bad parenting uh, through my, my years as a parent. Anybody else with me? Okay. Oh, we're going to start a bad parent recovery group for all of us. Um, when my kids were, my, they're all grown and gone. Praise God, they're still alive. You know, um, I learned as a parent the difference between genuine repentance and saying I'm sorry. I remember, you know, I remember those moments where they're beating each other with a stick or a bat or poking each other with spears and swords. And, you know, I remember one time, one, my older son with a big cinder block over his head and he throws it at his brother and, you know, and, and so, you know, as a good dad, I step in and intervene, right? That's what I'm supposed to do. And, man, Christopher, what are you doing? Your brother, he's got like a welt on his head and, you know, tell him you're sorry. He's, I'm sorry. Now, let me ask you a question. Was he sorry? No. No, I'm not the brightest bulb in the box, but I knew he was not sorry. He said words, but he was not repentant. Let me ask you a question. Have you repented of your sin? Or have you simply acknowledged with your mouth the things that God knows about you anyway? And that is that you are a sinful who's separated from him because of your sin. There's a difference, people. One brings life change. One, I've discovered, brings incredible frustration. See, if, if you acknowledge all the things about God and about who he is, and you've not experienced spiritual transformation, I promise you, you are probably one of the most frustrated people on the face of the earth right now. Because you know enough about his promises and his goodness, and we'll sing songs you know, about his goodness and his mercy, and you're going to walk away and you're going to be incredibly frustrated because you're not experiencing all that God intends for you. I'll tell you about a, a guy, I'll call him Bob. You don't know him. 
I'm positive none of you have met him. I was pastoring a church in, in Texas, and Bob and his girlfriend came to see me. They're living together. They're having children, and, and they come in. Praise God, they're there. They, were, they would typically sit right here, second, third row. And I, praise God, they were there. I'm glad they were there. They caught me after service one day. and said, Pastor Dave, can we, can we set up a time just to come and talk to you? I said, man, I'd love to talk. I've been coming for six months, eight months, and they came in, and this is what they said to me. They said, hey, listen, man, we, um, we've been trying this Jesus stuff, but it's just not working for us anymore. And with a stupid look on my face, which I get a lot, if you've ever been with me, I get this stupid look like, what are you even talking about, you know? I said, I seriously have no idea what you're really talking about right now. What do you mean you tried this Jesus thing and it's not working? Well, you have been coming to church and we're doing this stuff and and, but it's just not working for us, so we're, we're probably just not going to come anymore. What would you do? I got out of my chair. I went and slapped him in the head, right? No, in my flesh. That's what I wanted to do. And, and my wife, Leslie, who will, who will admit I'm not the most merciful person oftentimes, probably, probably would not be surprised. But I simply said, I said, wait, let me get this straight. You've tried Jesus, but it's not working for you. I said, Bob, help me understand, what does that even mean? Well, what does that even mean? And we started to unpack his life a little bit, and I, I found out he's still legally married to a woman in California, and he's got other kids, and I said, so wait a minute, wait, you're, you're coming to church and hope that God's going to make you feel good about your life. He goes, yeah. And I said, well, can I tell you what the Bible says? We talk about this every week, but can I just make it real to you? I said, Bob, in case you haven't understand, the Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That means you, and that means me. My sin looks different than you, but it's both sin. And I said, Bob, have you ever come to the place that you've repented of your sin, and you've confessed your sin to God, and you've asked him to take control of your life, that you're willing to die to yourself in your old nature, in your old way, and you're willing to live for him? He goes, no. Why would I do that? And I said, listen, man, until you come to that place, you're going to be frustrated. You're asking God to fix your sin when you've never confessed and repented of your sin. You've never walked away from your sin. That's the way we treat God sometimes. God, I want enough of you that I can get what I want from you, and you're going to make me feel good, but I really don't want you to radically change my life. I don't want you to do this kind of stuff. I don't want to be a witness because Pastor Dave said that's also the same word that's used for martyr. Hmm. Listen, I'm being honest with you. I don't want to do that. But I pray to the Lord Jesus Christ that I have the courage to do it when needed. That I am so radically transformed. We are passionate about connecting people to Jesus for what? Life change. God, I pray that I experience so much life change that in those moments you will do through me whatever you desire to do and that I will simply walk in obedience with you. When they heard, they were cut to the heart. Peter replied, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And then he says in verse 40, with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Woohoo! Lord, where are we going to put them? It doesn't matter. We'll find out next week as the story unpacks what happens to these people. Who becomes the church? The church, listen, the makeup of the church is repentant people. The makeup of the church is not brick and mortar. It's not steel. It's not cozy, comfy chairs. We discover that when we go to third world countries and we see people walking for five hours to go meet with other believers under a tree sitting in dirt for five hours and then walk home. Because they're so passionate about the person of Jesus Christ, not simply the comforts that it provides. So who are these people? Let me just close by giving you a picture of who these people are because they look just like you and me. We discover when we read the book of Acts, just chapters 1 and 2, here's what we discover so far. Acts chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, it says that the disciples were gathered. There were men, there were women, and it includes very specifically Mary, the mother of Jesus. In verse 15, chapter 1, it says that all that were gathered up in that room was about 120 people. Chapter 2, verse 1, it says that they were all together. They were all together when the Holy Spirit fell upon them. Verse 4, they were all, all men, women, young, old. They were all together. They were all filled. And it says they all began to proclaim, all of us, When we walk off this campus, all begin to proclaim the goodness and the mercy of Jesus. Not just a few, not just a couple. All, all. How are we going to reach our city when all are on mission? When we're all in this together, amen? Chapter 2, verse 17 Talking as he's reciting the prophet Joel, he's he's referring to their sons and their daughters. Young men, old men, old like me and older than me, young like me and younger than me. Sons, daughters. I look around the room, I see youngsters. I see people younger than me. I see people older than me. All men, women, sons, daughters, young men, old men. Chapter 18, uh, or chapter 2, verse 18, servants, men and women. Chapter uh, 2, verse 17, it says, all people, all who repented, you, if you've repented, me, if I've repented, all become witnesses. And by doing so, we become the church. We make up the church. We are the foundation of the church because we're committed to be on mission together. Back in October, as we unpacked our our vision statement, as we move forward, we introduced some language uh, around what we call mission measures. And it's simply a way to help us learn to grow. As I study God's word and as I grow in God's word, I want to look at the Word of God, and I want to say, God, what are you doing to me personally? How are you growing in me personally? And then how am I learning to live that out in my personal life and my public life? Uh, Let me throw an image up here. There's a triangle, and if you think of it this way, these people were growing in intimate relationship with God. They were in relationship with God. They were enjoying God to His fullest. 
And that becomes absolutely foundational to your life as a follower of Jesus and my life. How do I learn to enjoy God? How do I learn to live for him? I do it in the private moments of my heart and life because God knows my heart when no one else does. He knows my lies when no one else does. He knows my deceit when no one else does. He knows my lust when no one else does. He knows everything about me when no one else does. So in the private moments of my heart and my life with Jesus, I want to know how to grow with him. Do you long to grow in intimate fellowship with him? When you read his word, do you say, God, what are you doing to my life? You're wrecking me right now. Because in such a private and personal way, God, you're just tearing brick from brick the very essence of my selfishness. And as he does that, next week we'll start looking at what that looks like. Because if I'm enjoying God to its fullest right here in the privacy of my heart and my relationship with God, listen, it has to affect me. Amen? It has to affect me in a both personal way and a public way. That's where we see when we move through the rest of Acts chapter 2. But this morning, here's my invitation. Have you come to know Jesus personally? I mean, in such a real way, in such an honest way that says, God, I repent of my sin. I walk away from my sin. Change me. Make me the person you created me to be doesn't mean we don't struggle. I still struggle. Every follower of Jesus I've ever known, no matter how deeply in love with Jesus, they struggle. Amen? Are you with me? I'm not talking perfection here. I'm just talking about pursuit. I'm pursuing him. Are you pursuing him? Maybe in this place you've never come to trust Christ. I want to invite you to do that. In just a moment, we're going to stand and just have a time of, of, of invitation. It's a time for you and me to do business with Jesus. During that time, I'm going to be right over here, your left, my right. I'd love to have a conversation if you want to come. If you just want to pray, if you have questions about what it means to know Jesus. I see Pastor Mitchell's over here, Richard's over here. Uh, maybe there's people near you, you know. Just feel free to go to them during this time. This is an honest time. Let's do business with Jesus, amen? The altar's going to be open. Maybe you just need to come and say, God, I just need to be honest with you. And you just need to come in an attitude of prayer and just lay it down right here and spend a moment with the Lord. We invite you to do that. If you want to stand and sing, you're welcome to do that. If you want to remain seated right where you are, if you want to get on your knees right where you are and do business with God, that's what this time is all about. So we just invite you to do that. Father, throughout this place, to everyone within the sound of my voice, Father, will you just have your way with us in this moment? Lord, I confess my sin to you. I am not perfect. But God, I want to enjoy you in the private ways. God, I want you to impact my life personally and publicly. That I can be a witness for you because God, that's what you commanded of me. And I don't take your love for granted. I don't take your grace for granted. And it is not cheap. But Lord, you are most gracious. You are the most holy. The righteous God. And Lord, I just surrender my life to you. Have your way with us as a church, God, as we desire and dream of what it is to reach our city, that there are people who are lost. And Father, today I will encounter people. Today we will all encounter people. And Lord, would you find us faithful in those moments? Lord, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to sermons from Southbridge Fellowship in Raleigh, North Carolina. If you have a question about the message you just heard, 
email us at info at sfchurch.com. For additional resources or service information, visit us at sfchurch.com.